Well, my name is Levi. I have the privilege to be one of the pastors here at Freedom Village Church. We're, right now, we're going through a series on Lamentations, um, and we're on a mini-series mini as well. About once a month, we're going through the book of Philemon, so we get to visit Paul in Roman prison once a month, because that's where he was when he wrote it. After an Olympic gold medal athlete stands at the podium and receives their medal for their success in whatever sport it might be, a song starts to play. It's their national anthem. So there isn't just a celebration of the individual, but a celebration of the nation they represent. In other words, they're a kingdom representative using their uniqueness, their skills, their talents, their training to make their kingdom look great. Well, you and I, if you believe in Jesus Christ, are a part of a kingdom. And God has called all of us to be gold medal winners in how we function for the king and his kingdom. The problem is sin. We allow differences, quarrels, and misunderstandings to stand in the way of our united pursuit of kingdom living. Christ himself called his church to unity in this way, called his church to be one. John chapter 17, verse 20 through 21 says this. This is Jesus speaking. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also be in us, so that, and here's the purpose of it, the world may believe and you, that you have sent me. As Christ followers, we are sent on mission to make Christ's name known to a world that desperately needs him. And we are to be one so that the world may know that Christ has come in love. The mission of making Christ's name known is achieved through a united effort. Therefore, reconciliation is a gospel issue. Not just in the sense that we are reflecting who our Heavenly Father is, but that we are reflecting Him to a divided world. We are to have a united front in our pursuit of making His name known to the nations. So the question is, that we're going to look to answer today, how can we be a part of gospel reconciliation in the kingdom of God? How can we be those that bring the body together and become an agent of gospel unity within the church? How can we be agents of gospel reconciliation in our homes, in a world where family division has been normalized? How can we strive for unity in our missional families that are missional by nature? and designed to be sent out, they're evangelistic. How can we seek reconciliation in our serve groups that are way more effective when we're working in, with one mind and one heart? How can we be agents of gospel reconciliation? And that's the question we're gonna to look to answer today as we finish up our series on the book of Philemon. And we know Philemon, a wealthy Christian, who hosted a house church in Colossae, had likely converted to Christ because of the ministry of Paul. After telling Philemon how grateful he is, that's verses one through seven of who he is, right? He reminded him who he is, verses one through seven. And then he prays for him. Paul brings up 
a name from Philemon's past, Onesimus. Onesimus was an unbelieving slave of Philemon who had left Philemon's household. He ran away and possibly even stole from Philemon. And in the strange providence of God, Onesimus crossed paths with the imprisoned apostle himself, the apostle Paul, 1,000 miles away from where he was, the city of Colossae in Rome. He crossed paths with Paul. Through their conversations, Onesimus came to trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, becoming a spiritual son of Paul, just like Philemon was, a spiritual son of the apostle Paul. And now Paul, an old man, and dependent on other people's help because he's in prison, longed for Onesimus to stay with him. He wanted him to be with him. But convenience and comfort were not the ultimate drivers for Paul. The gospel was. Even though sending Onesimus away could, it, it, it would be like sending his very heart, Paul saw the reunion of Philemon and Onesimus as an opportunity for both men to provide the church and the world with a living parable of gospel reconciliation and partnership. We know this isn't the only letter that, that Paul wrote in prison. He also, in, in, in this stint of time, it wasn't the only letter he wrote. He also wrote Ephesians and Colossians. And how did these letters travel a thousand miles from Colossae, uh, I'm sorry, from Rome to those different destinations? These two guys, one guy named Tychicus and then Onesimus, of course, delivering these letters to their destinations. So you can picture Onesimus or Onesimus, Onesimus, Onesimus. I don't know. One of those two. Also Philemon, I don't know. I've heard Philemon. Uh, we've had debates in our missional family about how to pronounce it. Philemon. That's what we're going. It's the third sermon in on this book. Probably figured it out the first time. All right. But you can, you, you can picture it. Philemon showing up to, to his slave that ran away from him. I'm sorry, Onesimus showing up to his slave master that he ran away from with this letter from Paul. And now Philemon, and this is how letters were read. They were read publicly in front of the church. Philemon is going to read this out loud with Onesimus sitting right there probably or standing close by. This is the scene. And this is what he'll be reading. And the closing of the letter that we're going to look at today reads like this. And we're going to read it once again. So I just want you to imagine Philemon standing up there, reading this with Onesimus present, and the people in Philemon's house church there as well. And it reads like this, from Paul. So if you consider me your partner, Philemon, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So I want you to keep in mind the question we're looking to answer. How can we be a part of gospel reconciliation within his church? 
How can we be agents of gospel reconciliation? And there are three commands that Paul gives to Philemon in this this portion of the letter, and that's going to form the outline of the sermon today. Three commands, and the first one is welcome. Welcome others in. Welcome others in. And I get this from verse 17. It says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Now Philemon and Paul, they were coworkers in the faith. They were gospel workers in the faith and dear friends in the shared life of the family of God. If this, and if this communion is real, if Philemon is authentically committed to this shared life, then Paul not only requests but expects that Philemon will welcome Onesimus. Now the word receive uh, in the ESV and other translations, welcome. And, and it means basically the same thing. And it's a significant theological word. Paul uses it three times in Romans chapter 14 through 15 to describe how stronger believers should treat younger believers or weaker believers. They should welcome them. And Paul roots this welcoming in Romans 14 and 15 in how Christ has welcomed us into his own life. So we welcome or we accept each other because God has already welcomed us. We welcome each other because Christ has welcomed us into the family of God. So so to welcome, so this is on Paul's mind, for Philemon to welcome Onesimus, it's a gospel issue. It's It's at the heart of the gospel. If the gospel means anything, it means the Christian community must reflect God's own welcoming. And if God has welcomed Onesimus into the family, so must Philemon. In other words... Within the Christian community, his status is family rather than slave. His status is heir rather than servant. And whatever status Onesimus bore in the social world, in the familial world, within the church, he is brother. And what's also interesting here is that Paul's request is not simply to welcome him, but to welcome him back as if he were Paul. And we have to understand, if Paul walks up in your house church, back in, back in those days, you are giving him utmost respect. You're talking about a leader of the church. And he's saying, don't just welcome him back as a friend, but treat him as if you would treat me. This is utmost respect. This is a high honor for Onesimus. And, and when I was thinking of it, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not comparing Pastor James to Paul. I mean... I'm not doing it. So let let the record show. However, I did consider, let's say there's a new person coming into our missional family. And it's helpful for me. How am I supposed to welcome that person that is a believer in Christ? Welcome them. Treat them. (laughs) Respect them. Honor them as if they were a leader of the church. And this, this is Paul's request for Philemon. Don't, don't just welcome him back. Welcome him back as if it was me. Treat him with high honor. And so the question I ask myself, and there's two applications I think we can gain from this. The first one, which is probably the primary application, is we are to welcome back those that have wronged us. I think there's a secondary application. Are we welcoming of others in general? 
In our missional families, are we intentional in making every person feel welcome? No matter how different personality-wise they, they might be with the rest of the group, are we actively welcoming them into our family? Because remember, Paul, Paul is looking for reconciliation. He's looking for unity. And in order to achieve that, there has to be an element of welcoming. So think to yourselves, how can I do my best to remind this person they belong in the family? How can I be welcoming? And those of you on the welcome team now, like, yeah, come on. It was not a plug, just preaching the word. So how can we be agents of gospel reconciliation within the church? We welcome others as family. Welcome others as family. But we do something else. We spend yourself for others. Spend yourself for others. Verse 18 reads like this. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Charge that to my account. I'm just feeling it. Do we have water or a cup? I, um, over the weekend, there was a volleyball tournament. And if you've ever seen me coach, some coaches are able to sit there very quietly and just watch the game. I cannot. I have to stand up and scream. Not just at the refs, but at the refs, but at the players too. Yeah, I'm just screaming all the time. So my, my voice might fall out. Just a warning. If it cracks, you know why. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And then he says, I love this part. He says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. So, so, so he signs an IOU over to Philemon. Though Paul could have asked Philemon to forgive any debt since Philemon owes Paul his own life, right? Remember, he's a spiritual son of Paul. He doesn't exercise that right or privilege. Instead of seeking an equal exchange, Paul assumes whatever debt Onesimus owes Philemon. Paul forgoes his rights in order to assume the status of debtor to Philemon. And in this, Paul reflects the gospel. In this situation, Paul is mediating the reconciliation of Philemon and Onesimus. Essentially, he's putting himself in the place of Christ. He will absorb the consequences of Onesimus' wrongdoing. Paul will pay the cost so that Onesimus can be reconciled to Philemon. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against him, against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. If he's wronged you or owes you anything, put it on my account. Charge it to me. Paul is willing to bear the debt that Juanissimus owed. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He took upon himself our debt of sin. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 through 6. 4 through 6. I won't walk over there and knock it over. Isaiah 53, verses four through six. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He paid the debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. To you who have been born again through Jesus Christ, he has become our mediator, our advocate interceding for us. When I sin and come to God in repentance, Jesus says, charge that to me. Satan is there making all kinds of accusations against me. In the scripture, he's called the accuser. Bring all kinds of charges and accusations, but Jesus stands before the Father for me and says, just charge that to my account. And the Father declares, justified. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 34. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? None of us qualifies to walk in the, God, in the presence of God. But Jesus put his credit to our account so that we can. We are acceptable to God in Christ. Christ gave himself so that we could be reconciled to God. And just as Christ spent himself so that we could be reconciled to the Father, we are to spend ourselves for the unity and reconciliation of one another. Give of yourself for one another. We are to work at it. Don't hold back in serving each other. Give of yourself in your missional families for the sake of unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to be active in this. It's not passive. Being intentional with how we treat one another. Work at it. Consider to yourself, how can I spend myself today for the good of the brethren, for my brothers and sisters in Christ? Spend yourself for others. So you want to be an agent of reconciliation and unity, be intentional in welcoming others as family, and spend yourself for others. And lastly here, refresh hearts in Christ. Refresh hearts in, in Christ. This is verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. His request here renews uh, Paul's thanksgiving where Paul expresses joy and hope for Philemon's consistent practice of the faith. That's verses one through seven. As he continually, as Philemon was someone who continually refreshed the hearts of the saints, Paul is grateful for that. He's grateful for his faithful history. And Paul asks Philemon to continue his faithful walk by refreshing his own heart, by refreshing Paul's heart. And we should remember in verse 12, Paul calls Juanissimus his very heart. So, so he, there's a play on words here as well. Refresh my heart. In other words, refresh me, but refresh Juanissimus. And this word carries the meaning of rest, renewal, relieve him, to, to, to invigorate his love for the Lord. This command reveals a wonderful and mysterious reality. Our communion with Christ genuinely leans on other people. He wants to be refreshed by the actions of Philemon. 
So, so how specifically could Philemon refresh the heart of Christ, uh, I'm sorry, refreshed Paul hearts in Christ? What was Paul really asking him to do? We've learned that he was asking Philemon to receive, to welcome Onesimus into the family of God. And how Philemon loved Onesimus, how he loved Onesimus, would ripple beyond Onesimus to Paul. So it wouldn't just affect Onesimus, it would affect Paul. And then through Paul to countless others, right? Paul ministered to so many people. So the action of love between Philemon and Onesimus wasn't just affecting Onesimus, but it was refreshing Paul. And it was probably refreshing many others, which he understood as he's writing this letter to be read aloud to that house church in Colossae. So Philemon's decision to love and receive Onesimus wouldn't just affect Onesimus, but would bless and refresh Paul as well. And throughout, throughout the letter, you can see and feel Paul's heart being refreshed by the very idea of Philemon obeying in this way. By, by Philemon responding this way. A response the world wouldn't be able to explain, but can only be explained through a relationship through Christ. What if he forgave him and with nothing in return? What, what if instead of treating Onesimus worse than before, he treated him far better, like his own beloved brother? What if the new bond between these two men uh, were another seed that helped to bring down slavery? What if, what if Philemon's lost neighbors, appalled by his patience and forgiveness, received Christ in the light of his witness? How marvelous Jesus Christ and his kingdom would look that day. So, so Paul let his heart be refreshed, and he enjoyed the, even the possibility of that mind-blowing scene, of all that Christ might do through this one startling act of obedient mercy. And so Philemon, so Paul asked Philemon, would you refresh my heart in Christ once again? And I think one way that Satan tempts us to lovelessness, to bitterness, uh, is by convincing us that the consequences are few, insignificant, and confined to that one person in relationship. He, he wants us to think that no one else's life will really be affected by our decisions. You can almost hear him whispering, how much damage could this really cause? So when you're tempted to be unkind with your spouse or impatient with your children, when you're tempted to harbor anger toward a friend, when you're tempted to ignore the glaring need of your local church, when you're tempted not to forgive, think about the dozens of hearts waiting to see Christ in you. Remember that the consequences will reach further and deeper than you can think or imagine. Forgive one another for, for God's sake, for his goodness, for his glory. Forgive one another for your own sake, for your growth, for your character, but also for the sake of one another. Refresh their hearts in Christ. So how can we be agents of reconciliation, unity in the church? We welcome fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as family. We spend ourselves for one another. We refresh the hearts of those around us through how we love one another and I, I like how Paul ends here. Verses 23 through 25, we'll read that now. He lists a bunch of names. There's some parts in scripture where you're like, all right, next book, next verse. Uh, this is one of those. You just think, well, I can just pass over this. It's a list. There's a lot of lists in, in the Bible. However, this one I believe is intentional. First, it's intentional because I believe he's, he's trying to make Philemon accountable to his decision. He's like, listen, there are other people that know about this. 
right? They greet you as well. They're people you respect. But there are other reasons I believe he mentions this name as well. So 23 through 25. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And what we see here is important because we see that reconciliation isn't just an idea for Paul. It's, it's something he's personalized. It's something that's deep and, and close to his heart because of who he mentions, who he lists here. And I want to focus on two names. First, Mark. In the sign-off, Paul mentions Mark, and it's not just some guy named Mark. It's that dude who wrote the book of Mark, right? One of the four Gospels. Years earlier, uh, he had assisted Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. But for some undisclosed reason, he deserted Paul during their trip. And later, when Barnabas wanted to bring Mark along on another uh, journey, Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. They, they argued. Paul didn't want Mark to come along. And, and the relational damage was apparently uh, that deep, uh, Acts chapter 15. Whenever told how it was resolved, we don't know what took place, what happened. But thanks to the shortest letter of Paul, right, the book of Philemon, we know that it was resolved. Paul lists Mark as one of his friends and gospel partners. They've, they've done what Paul desires Paul and Onesimus to do. They've reconciled. And, and I think this little encouragement tucked away in this letter is that Christians of goodwill, Christians that mean well, can have painful separation and unresolved conflict. And yet the end of the story hasn't been written yet. Perhaps there are former friends that have deeply hurt you. And you don't have the sort of reconciliation that would make things right and rebuild trust. The example of Paul and Mark suggests that though it may take years, no relationship is irrevocably beyond his repair. So that's Mark. But also there's Demas. There's one more name that stands out in the closing. Paul's former worker, Demas. Like, like, Paul, like Mark, uh, passes along greetings to Philemon. And the name appears in 2 Timothy, written after, it's after the letter to Philemon. Uh, one of the saddest verses Paul ever wrote out of the 13 letters uh, he wrote. He says, Demas, uh, in love with this present world, has deserted me. So Philemon is written before this, 2 Timothy after. Demas, who looked and sounded like a gospel partner, was actually an apostate in disguise. He was with them, but never truly one of them. He was a wolf masquerading as a sheep. He chose the broad path instead of the narrow path of the cross. And, and even this, even this uh, is, is encouraging in, in a way. Because some of us have had those close to us walk away from the Lord and make shipwreck of the faith. It may be a friend or a colleague or a mom or a dad, a brother or a sister a son or a daughter, may even be a pastor. And after they fall, we often soul search. Is there something I could have done differently? Something, something I should have seen, something I should have said. And I'm thankful Paul doesn't merely, uh, he doesn't merely tell us that we are required to live peaceably with all. That's Romans chapter 12. But he adds two qualifiers. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
Though, though we must take every effort, sometimes no matter what we do, people we love and trust will ultimately choose to walk away and avoid walking in the light. And at the end of the day, we all must stand before the Lord. There are some who have abandoned us in this world with, with whom we will someday reconcile. And there may be some standing with us now who will abandon both us and God. And in the meantime, our calling is steadfast to let Christ's grace reign in our lives. And we should fix our eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, it's difficult to imagine exactly, exactly how the situation played out. Of course, we assume that they reconciled. Uh, there's a reason why it's in the canon of Scripture. And according to church history, we assume that they did reconcile. Um, however, we don't know for sure, right? It's, it's not in the letter. There's not a, and Philemon did this. Um, but what we do know is that the mission of making Christ's name known is achieved through a united effort. Therefore, reconciliation is a gospel issue. And we create a culture of unity here at Freedom Village Church and reconciliation as we welcome one another as brothers and sisters, spend ourselves for one another, and as we refresh the hearts of the saints through encouragement and love. I'm going to ask the praise team. Uh, to come up now and we'll close in prayer together.